Hello, I'm Shell of Lionheart's Fitness. If you don't know about us by now, please check out our website, lionheartsfitness.com. Free fitness for all youth, particularly obstacle course racing. Right now, here is your podcast, I Am Spartan Podcast, with our favorite host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? Could you do me a huge favor and go and check out the show's sponsor at monkeygrips.com? That's monkey with two E's. And give them a follow on Instagram at monkeygrip2 as well. They make these awesome rope grips that you can hang from a pull-up bar. And you can do your pull-ups on there and max out your pull-ups, max out your dead hangs, and then you can take them off of there real quick and put them on some dumbbells and do farmer's carries or just static holds to just blow out your grip even further. They also sell cannonball grips, which is about the size of a baseball, and they attach onto the dumbbells and the pull-up bars the exact same way, and they also sell liquid chalk too. So do me a favor and go and check them out. That's monkeygrips.com. What's up, everybody? I got a super cool episode here. I got Logan Broadbent on. He crushed the elite field at West Virginia this past weekend, and we talk about a lot of the other different hobbies he has, including being on American Ninja Warrior, being a world champion boomerang thrower, which was very cool to hear, and I had a lot of questions about that. And we talk about OCR as well. And um, also... Uh, my buddy Tim met me at the race this weekend, or he stayed with us at our Airbnb. And he was telling me that the last few episodes kind of sounded really, really quiet. And it may just be his car. I don't know. So I'm not going to do a lot of volume control on editing this one, you know, because it's still kind of a learning curve for me here. So let me know if this episode comes out like really, really loud. So I'm going to try to, you know, clean it up a little bit, but still kind of keep it a little loud too but anyway here's the interview with logan broadbent and if you want to hear how my race went at west virginia and just some more details about that uh that'll be after the interview here's the interview logan broadbent logan broadbent how are you doing today sir hey scott doing great man doing great living my best life and uh feeling good right thanks for having me yeah, I'm, you know, I saw you at West Virginia where you kind of put on a clinic there on, and for the elite heat there. And I know that had to be kind of cool coming back to that venue because was it, what year was it that you and Mark Battress went out like a bat <laughs> out of hell? Was it 2021, right? It must have been. Yeah, it was 2021. Uh, he and I were just, yeah, we were just cruising together. And uh, what a great experience, man. That was fun. At least, uh, you know, at least the first three quarters of that race was fun. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it was very, very painful. <laughs> out, out of all the races I watched last year, you know, every time that, you know, I see you or I think about you, I think about how fast you and Mark looked during that race. I mean, y'all were crushing it. And I was like, good, you know, because, you know, I already had my picks in for, you know, the what we always do at Yancey Camp, you know, that Jack Bauer puts right. out. And of, course, was, of course. And I was just thinking like, man, these guys are just about to ruin everybody's picks, you know, because y'all <laughs> were just 
crushing it. And I was just amazed at how fast and how good y'all looked, you know, at least for the first three quarters of the race. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time we busted up some brackets out there. Um, you know, I think anybody who's raced enough has had those days or those races where you're just feeling it right. And you go out there and you pop off an incredible performance that you weren't really expecting, uh, even though you've been putting in the work, um, you know, it all kind of has to fall together. Uh, and it was just one of those races where it really fell together and, uh, uh, went well, actually I stayed with, um, um, uh, Mark and, uh, and a few others, we actually had an Airbnb nearby there the night before <laughs> we were talking about the race, we were just eating cookies and, you know, uh, you know, talking about how we prepare for a race the night before and talking about nutrition and, you know, we were down in some Oreos or something like that. And, uh, and then, uh, and then we both went, went and had a great race. So it was pretty cool. Did you and Mark it was also the year where the sandbags, gonna... the sandbags were about three times as heavy as they usually are. I think that year, cause it rained all week. Uh, so that was, that was fun when we got there. It felt more like a rope climb than a sandbag. Oh, you're uh, talking about on the Hercules hoist. hoist. Yeah. Yes. The hoist. I remember yeah. that. Cause yeah, there was, was only fun. like one, there was one bag that I remember that was kind of easy to get up and it was still like one of the hardest hurt voices. <laughs> I didn't find it. I didn't find it. If there's an easy one out there, I, I, uh, I tested a few of them, but it, it was fun. Isn't that about where y'all lost your y'all's lead at too? was about right there. Yeah, it was about right there. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, Atkins came up. Um, uh, he snuck by me, I think before that. And then, um, uh, and at that point, you know, for me, I, I love the heavy carries and I love, you know, uh, love that sort of thing, especially when you can get it up on your back and just go. Cause then you're really just using your, you're really just supporting the weight with your legs at that point anyway. Right. Um, but the hurt voice is a little bit different because you do need some leverage. You do need a little bit of body weight behind you, which is uh, something I'm lacking. <laughs> um, so that one's always, you know, always, always a test. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that year in particular, it, uh, you know, I think I tried a few bags and then for the first time in a very, very long time, if ever, uh, I went and started doing some burpees um, mm -hmm. on the Hercules hoist. And, uh, and I think Mark came and joined me uh, there pretty soon after. So it was, uh, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember Ryan Woods. I, I think it was even on the live feed. He, he he looked over it because I think Garfield was there and he was the RD and he looked over at Garfield and was like, "Man, what's going on?" Because <laughs> they were yes. ridiculously. It felt like they had you know sack concrete in it. I mean, they were so heavy. It was oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's just part of Spartan, right? I mean, there's got to be a curveball in almost every race. There's got to be something you don't expect, and uh, you got to adapt. You got to be ready for it. So, yeah. um, and West Virginia, it always seems like there's you know, probably three or four different curveballs that they throw at you this year um, was a different course than it had been previous years, a different map mm -hmm. and um, uh, some very uh, West Virginia is known for having some very steep and aggressive climbs. Uh, this year was, was something else. I mean, yeah. they just brought you straight up and straight down some of the steepest parts of those mountains. And uh, uh, it made for some really interesting racing. My splits didn't look great, but, uh, but I was working out there. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you did really great, man. I know that had to be pretty awesome pulling off first place after, you know, you almost had first place that, that those many years <laughs> ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Back when it was the elite series race and, uh, you know, being, you know, being in the mix top four, um, you know, out there was, yeah, it was pretty sweet. And, uh, uh it's just a special, it's a special venue. It's a special course. 
uh, being a Midwesterner, right, being from Cleveland, it's, you know, about a four and a half hour drive down there for me. So I get to see a lot of folks um, that I don't see on like the larger national circuit, but a lot of the folks from Indiana, from Pennsylvania, from Ohio, Kentucky, um, you know, all come into that race. And so it is, uh, it's, it's special in that way too, right? Kind of this, uh, this cool Midwest community that we have going on and, uh, and some incredible racers, some incredible athletes, but we're really more incredible people, you know, uh, that you get to see and catch up with. Right. Yeah. So I, I, and, and what's sad is, is probably in 2021, when you place fourth, you probably got more of an award there than you did from getting first place this weekend. Yeah, that's I talk, true. That's I talked to you for just a second after the, uh, after the podium ceremony and it looked like they gave you a case of rain and like a little, like a little travel medicine bag, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I opened up the medicine bag. It had a jump rope in there. It had, uh, it had a little, uh, it had a little hand towel, uh, oh, cool. which came in handy, um, you know, uh, to clean up. And then, uh, what else is in there? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I ever, I don't think I took everything out of there, but, uh, but yeah, it was a cool little, cool little travel bag. And then, that rain energy drink. Now I, I tend personally, nothing against rain or anybody else. I just personally avoid kind of the high, high caffeine energy drinks. Uh, generally, yeah. I don't think they, I, I don't think they do too much for me. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was nice. It was nice to see sponsors supporting the athletes like that and, and, uh, going home with a, with a little consolation prize. There you go. There you go. It was nice. It was nice. Well, hey, Logan, tell us a little bit more like about yourself. You know, I know you're from Cleveland, but do you, do you have like a day job that you, you know, like clock in nine to five? Yeah. Yeah, actually I do. So, um, you know, like most of us out there, you know, I got to do something to, uh, pay the bills and to, to get to travel and do some of this stuff. Um, I'm actually the global managing director, uh, for a company called Iron Mountain, uh, so I run a global sales team um, and we've, we do records management shredding like historically, but we've moved very heavily into the digital space. So we have a lot of data centers uh, all over the world. Um, we do imaging projects, asset lifecycle management. So IT, IT asset management and uh, yeah, all sorts of weird kind of boring things that most mm. people on this podcast didn't come to hear about. Um, uh, but I like it. It gives me the autonomy that I need. Um, you know, it, uh, it allows me to, you know, uh, to make enough to be able to travel and do some of the fun stuff that I get to do, uh, within the OCR community and outside of that. Um, and I have an incredible team. I have people that, that keep me motivated, that keep me driven. Um, and that's one thing I talk a lot about is, Hey, how do we balance our jobs, our careers, our families, and these, hobbies that are more personally fulfilling right that are good for us you know that that are a big part of our lives and how do we get how do we not only balance all of those but how do we get them to work together right mm -hmm. how do we get our how do we use our job to motivate us in spartan or in, in obstacle course racing um and likewise how does obstacle course racing and what we do right competitively and getting out there and pushing ourselves help us you know um become better people right within our work within the people that we work around every day um to, to help motivate and inspire people uh people nearby right well speaking of hobbies you know i know that you you've got a, a you've got a bunch of them and i don't see how you do all the things that you do and you find time to train for all these different things because 
I, I, I know a lot of people know that you were on the, the U S boomerang team. Is that, is that still yeah. true? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Still on the U S boomerang team. We were in Bordeaux, France, uh, last summer for the world championships where our team won. That was my fourth, uh, U S team world champion, uh, chip win. And, um, uh, yeah, I've 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 been competing my entire life. My dad was involved in the sport when I was young, and uh, and it's still a big part of what I do. Uh, great community, not the biggest sport in the world, uh, but it's definitely given me the chance to travel to different corners of the world, meet people from all different walks of life, um, and it's really unique. It's really different. I've I've thrown boomerangs at a couple couple different races, OCR Worlds, and a couple Spartan races. I've I've given out some boomerangs to some friends with kids and and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty unique. Yeah, if you if you look up Logan on YouTube, you can see some amazing videos of, of him throwing boomerangs. And I I can't imagine all the time that you've put into this to get as good as you are at it because the stuff that you're doing was amazing. There was one where video I saw where you threw a boomerang and snuffed out a candle when you threw it. Yes. How long did it take? To, I mean, it's one thing to throw a boomerang and actually have it come back to you, but like, how long did it take to get to where you could throw a boomerang and have accuracy enough to do something like that? <laughs> you know, what's funny is that particular trick shot. So you're talking about the trick shot videos. Uh, I've got a bunch on YouTube, um, but two of the more popular ones are the ones that I've done with uh, Dude Perfect, uh, which right. is a pretty big YouTube presence and channel and, and great guys, really incredible guys. Uh, we were just hanging out uh, earlier this year on um, uh, doing, working on another project, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's something like that, that candle trick shot I actually got on my second throw and all the other shots that you see in that video probably took me, you know, dozens, if not many more right throws. It felt like my <laughs> arm was going to fall off by the end of it. And, and I'm one of, and I'm one of the, best throwers in the world i'm somebody who's um you know is really dedicated my life to becoming the best at something um you know the sport of boomerangs uh but those trick shot videos or those trick shots in particular uh even if you're the best in the world it can take a few tries um but you know but that's something where it's a combination of having started as early as i did right i found boomerangs i got hooked onto it it became such a natural mechanism for me um you know and uh when you start something that early it really becomes ingrained in you so um so there's never a point in time where i developed any bad habits or um you know uh, wasn't going to be proficient at it uh, and then i've just kind of tuned the machine ever since then right and what's unique about boomerangs is we actually make our own boomerangs that we use in competition so not only do you need to be an athlete but you also need to be an engineer uh you know an inventor creator right to understand the aerodynamics and be able to design boomerangs and, and build boomerangs uh that do what we need them to do in competition uh for all the different events that we have um it's uh yes yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool and unique sport there are many sports where you build your own equipment right imagine right. building your own skis or your own snowboard or your own bike right it's uh it's a little bit different yeah and, and i saw you know some of your videos where you had all these different models of boomerangs too but yeah. you you would think i mean me i would think that you know if you've gotten used to throwing one boomerang it seems to me like well i know how to do this one i'm good with this one i want to stick with this one so it seems to me like if you changed up boomerangs wouldn't that have to kind of 
you would have to figure out your whole new accuracy and how to throw yep. it and yeah there's a couple different reasons why i have so many different types of boomerangs so first there's six main events that we compete in in individual competition so there's distance there's maximum time aloft there's fast catch there's trick catch and doubling where you're throwing two boomerangs at once catching them both behind the back end of the legs with your feet doing all sorts of really cool things and so each of those different events require a different flight pattern um require different distances right and different style of boomerang and um uh, and so i have boomerangs that vary by the different events but then i also have boomerangs within each event that vary based on the weather conditions right wow. so if it's really windy right i need to get boomerangs that maybe have you know i, I wrap coins with tape i use lead tape i use uh rubber bands i'll use all sorts of different things to create drag and to modify the aerodynamics of the boomerang and the weight of the boomerang to get it to fly the way i need it to uh you know given given those conditions outside if it's wet outside it's going to be a little different um you know even even the elevation matters. So we're actually going to host the world championships in Denver in 2024. So next year, uh, and there's a lot of OCR folks out in, 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 in Colorado. So hopefully they'll be able to come out and watch and, uh, and enjoy the show. Oh, um, but that's at a higher elevation. And so there's less air resistance and the boomerangs are actually going to travel a longer distance huh. um, than they would when I'm at, when I'm at sea level. And so I need to be able to account for that and factor that into my preparations for the World Cup, um, you know, in Denver, as opposed to what it was in, in Bordeaux, France last year. Right. So it's pretty, pretty major. Where do you find time to do all this? This sounds <laughs> like this alone would take up like all of your time training, you know, to be like a world champion at doing this. And I mean, not to mention that you've been on American Ninja Warrior like six or seven times too right like and you're doing yeah. ocr yeah. i mean how do you find time to train for all this and where is your what is your a goal for training i mean is it right, right. first running first yeah scott that's a great question and uh <laughs> i wish i had an answer for it. you know i uh you know I, I have so many things that i'm driven by and there's so many things that i enjoy doing and I love to live in the moment, right? right. I, I like to, um, I, I think sometimes we have to go out and we have to actually seek happiness. We have to find what makes us happy and fulfilled. Um, and a lot of people think that it's just a lack of, lack of suffering or, or lack of, you know, if, if something is not going wrong, then things are good, but that's not necessarily true. It's actually going out and finding things that you're passionate about, that you enjoy and being a part of a community. Um, you know, that really provides that fulfillment, right. For me personally, and all of these different sports, all these different things that I do, um, you know, it, provide that to me. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of training. Um, it takes some time management skills, uh, which can be a little sure. bit difficult for me, especially when balancing a job. Um, but, uh, but as long as I really truly enjoy what it is I'm doing, it doesn't feel like a burden. I don't get stressed about having to go, you know, run 22 miles on a weekend, uh, you know, on a weekend morning or uh, having to go, you know, throw my arm off, right. Or having to go, you know, drive and sleep in my car before West Virginia beast race uh, so I can get there on time and not miss a day of work. And uh, um, uh, so for me, you know, I, I, 
there's there's nothing that I want to give up at this point. Uh, I understand that there's going to be a point in my life uh, here in the next several years uh, when a lot of this is going to take a backseat to something much more important, right? Which will be my family, kids, that sort of thing, which I haven't gotten around to yet at this <laughs> point. Uh, and, and you see, you know, I go out to these races, um, you know, people ask how I can do all that I do, right? Between Boomerangs, American Inch Warrior, um, YouTube videos, uh, a full-time job, OCR, marathons, whatever. And uh, and then I look at them and say, hey, are you kidding me? You have three kids. How do you sleep, right. let alone hold down a job and 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 manage a, a relationship and, and, and everything else? Um, and so, you know, so I, I do have that capacity. I do have that ability. I have a lot of energy. Um, which which I think helps too. And I take care of my body and I eat well and I, you know, I try to get adequate sleep. That's something I can probably improve upon. Um, but uh, but for now, while I'm at kind of my peak fitness, I want to see how far I can push the envelope. I want to see how low I can get my marathon time down to. Um, I want to see, you know, how well I can compete in, um, you know, in the Spartan, you know, in, in the Spartan series, right? I finished fourth in the U S national series in the elite series uh, a couple of years ago. Hmm. Um, I didn't focus on the three K series this year because uh, I had some small injuries at the beginning of the season that took me out of a few, a couple races and kind of put me out of contention at that point. Right. Uh, so I decided I'm going to focus on a couple of the major marathons uh, this year. I'm running the Chicago marathon in October and then the New York marathon in November, because I'd really like to knock out uh, the six majors. Um, and that would complete the, the set here in the U S um, so that's going to be kind of my back half, you know, focus, um, you know, so yeah. So long story short, you know, it's, if, if you care enough and you enjoy it enough, um, and you can allow things to complement one another, uh, you know, doing obstacle training for Ninja Warrior helps me in OCR, uh, right. as does running, right. So preparing for these marathons, Boston Marathon in the spring gets me pretty well ready for some of the longer races that we're going to have, um, you know, in Spartan and, uh, um, and some of the other, other series. Do the, uh, people on your boomerang team get worried every time you go into an OCR race or go on American Ninja Warrior thinking, <laughs> Oh, if you mess up your arm, you're screwing the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's, an, it, it's actually a consideration, right? Um, so we have, so the U S boomerang team is made up of two squads of six throwers. Oh, wow. Um, so 12 throwers total. Um, there's, it's essentially an A team and a B team. So I'm always on, you know, kind of the top team and a few of our, you know, a few of my teammates have consistently been on my team since, you know, essentially 20, you know, 20, uh, 2014, like, he, you know, we've been competing together at, at right. world cups. Um, and, and yeah, they, uh, they get a little bit nervous, uh, knock on wood. I've managed to stay very healthy, but when I, when there is a world cup coming up or world championships where we'll be competing, you know, for the U S right for our country, um, you'll notice I'll kind of fade away a little bit from OCR for a month, month and a half. Um, you know, especially leading up to that, just to make sure that, um, I'm going in absolutely fresh. I'm focused on, you know, boomerangs exclusively and, um, you know, and, and I'm putting our team in the best position to win. Um, I have to stay on top of my teammates too, right. To make sure that right. they're, 
training, that they're staying mm. in shape. They, there's no doubt that I'm training, that I'm staying in shape, and that I'm going to be ready for a World Cup. Uh, for me, it's about, hey, let's make sure you go into the World Cup healthy and you don't injure yourself, right, getting ready for it. For them, it's let's make sure you go into the World Cup in shape and fit and ready for, you know, uh, for 10 days of competition, right, to be able to, um, you know, to be able to bring back the cup and to defend our title. Um, and so we kind of hold each other accountable, even though we're at we're at totally different ends of the spectrum. I mean, they're all the way out in Seattle. I'm in Cleveland. You know, I've had teammates in Tennessee. I've had teammates yeah. in Wisconsin. We're all over the place. So we don't get to get together and train. So we have to call each other, check in with each other and make sure that we're um, we're doing what we need to do. What countries are, I mean, I, I know we're stuck. This, bo- this boomerang stuff, it, it fascinates me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know, yeah. I know I keep asking questions about it, but yeah. which team, which other teams, like other countries, I guess, would be like probably the the ones that take it the, the most serious, where they've got the most people that are, you know, enthusiastic yeah. about th- that sport. Right, because you look around the U.S. and how often do you go to a park or go to a field and see people throwing boomerangs, right? It's right. hardly hardly ever. Um, and and maybe if they have a boomerang, does it actually work is the other question. But, right. um, but yeah, but what countries can you go to where you actually see people out throwing boomerangs and practicing and, and, and being competitive? So the U.S. has kind of dominated the sport since the first international competition back in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, the Germans have been very, very good as well. So they have the second most World Cup wins uh, than any other team. But over the past decade, um, yeah, decade to 15 years, we've seen other teams pop up and start really competing and pushing us right to uh, to win. So the Japanese actually won uh, a title um, several years ago. Uh, so they came up and, and did really well. We see a big, uh, big growth in Brazil um, and really huge growth in Indonesia and India. Wow. We're seeing a lot of boomerang throwers. Uh, a lot of people pick up the sport of boomerangs, start making boomerangs, throwing. You'll see a ton on social media. If you're looking up anything boomerang related, you'll see a lot going on in India. And Indonesia actually has a massive, massive presence. Um it's a little bit harder for them to get to a world cup, right. To be able to afford, right. right with, uh, with, um, uh, you know, the cost of the cost of traveling and, and everything else. But I have a feeling, um, that those are going to be my biggest competition, you know, here going into the next decade. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that this is an Olympic sport. It just seems like something that would be an Olympic sport. Yeah. You know, it was an exhibition sport back when, uh, the sit uh back when the olympics were held in sydney of course mm-hmm. being in australia um right. the olympic the international olympic committee requires uh there's a few different requirements in order to become an olympic sport right and ocr is kind of running into this too right you need right. to have so many individual countries and individual uh federations organizations right within those countries that are managing that sport um, you need to have uh, a certain uh, certain number of participants. You need to have standardized equipment. Uh, and it's really hard to get around the standardized equipment piece because in boomerangs, we are making our own equipment. So part of the advantage of being a good boomerang thrower is not only being the best athlete, but also having the right equipment. And, um, um, and it's interesting because there's obviously variation in winter sports, 
right? With, you know, different types of skis being used, different types of wax right. being used on the skis. So we kind of compare it to that, like, hey, all of our boomerangs have to fall within like certain criteria. There can't be any catching aids. There can't be Velcro. Uh-huh. There can't be, you know, big holes and things like that, right? That would be an advantage. Um, but we like to keep the element of creativity and engineering and the physics uh, behind it. Um, so that's something that we're navigating. It's definitely something we want to be part of the Olympics, but I think the Olympics also are trying to manage the number of sports that they have. So they want to drop one off to add a new one. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll continue to fight that battle. And I would love to get it in before I'm past my prime. I, I think right. I'll still be able to remain competitive uh, for, for quite a while, but, um, um, but yeah, the sooner the better. Right. Right. Um, so I saw on one of your videos that, is it true you have like a record for throwing one 177 yards and it coming back to you? Yes. Yes. So I actually threw a boomerang. I have the U S national record for the longest distance throw. So 177 yards out with a full return, 177 yards back. Uh, so if you think about throwing something, you know, nearly two football fields and, uh, and having it return, uh, it doesn't seem like it doesn't really register in your mind, right? Nobody can throw a football that far. You can't throw, you can't even throw a Frisbee that far, right? Let alone have it all, have it return. Um, but it also goes back to the uniqueness of the sport and the physics, right? Related to it. So I'm throwing a boomerang that's made out of, um, micro glass balloons covered in epoxy, uh, surrounded by carbon and Kevlar fibers. So it's super light, very rigid and very sharp. This is one of the events where you actually don't catch the boomerang. Uh, boomerangs inherently aren't that dangerous, right? Um, they actually, the returning boomerang was never actually used as a weapon, even though most people think of a boomerang as being a weapon. Uh, but these distance boomerangs made out of fiberglass, carbon fiber, um, you know, have to be pretty sharp in order to, you know, have as little air resistance as possible as it's traveling out mm-hmm. and to make the full return. And so um, that's, it's, it's a really cool event to watch, you know, to see something, you know, thrown from your arm and I'm not the biggest guy, right? I don't right. have, I don't look like a baseball pitcher, um, but I'm able to put more spin into my throw uh, than almost any other thrower out there. Um, and I think that, that, translates to a huge advantage for me so i do have a lot of power i use my entire body to throw um you know i have the right mechanics and uh was able to get a boomerang you know to uh to go that far and come all the way back and and i've i've held the record since i think it was uh i think it was 2010 when i set that record so i was still in college yeah so when it came back to you you said you didn't catch it but yes if it did come back to you if you could catch it, was it that close to you or was it like, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally could have caught it. It was, uh, it has to travel. It has to, so you're throwing from the center of a bullseye from the center of a circle and it has to come back within, I think it's about 10 meters in either direction. So they have basically these poles that are set up on a line and it has to it has to come through those uprights right between those poles in order for uh, the throw to count. And there are so many throws where you know it's gone even further, but it just curved around and came back and just it was just outside by a little bit, and wow. uh, and didn't count right. You can't get the record unless it's uh, it's perfect. So you have to be accurate. You have to be precise. And when something's traveling that far, it's really hard to be that accurate. But I'm I'm I maybe I got a little bit lucky that day. That's amazing yeah, that you were able to do it though. 
I mean, just to have it come I back and be this. that close to where you could catch it and it went 177 yards away. <laughs> that's amazing. You probably yeah. couldn't even see it once it got that far away, could you? No, 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 no. But there's spotters <laughs> out in the field that are triangulating the distance. And, uh, you know, it's and it's so thin that when I'm throwing it, it's hard to see until I can see the actual profile of it. Right. Uh, and then it comes comes rocketing back. Um, but if anybody wants, right, if anybody's in Ohio, if anybody's in Indiana, Michigan, shoot, if you're in Hawaii and you want to fly to Cleveland, uh, we're actually going to host the U.S. National Championships at the end of the month in my hometown oh, cool. um, on the west side of Cleveland. So that's going to be pretty cool. And then the World Cup will be held in Denver uh, next year, which will be even even cooler because you'll see the best in the world go at it uh, over several days of competition. And, um, yeah, it's going to be pretty special. So. Um, I'll still be doing OCR. I'll still be competing. I'll still be racing, uh, but I'll also be preparing for those, um, you know, in the meantime. Right. So, and I could talk about boomerang all day. That just, I just think that's yeah. really neat and a very hard skill to develop, I'm sure. But so yeah. you've been on American Ninja Warrior seven times. So I know that that's a show that's kind of hard to get on to. Did you walk on the first time or did you have to wait in that long line like they say a lot of people have to do you know what i've been lucky enough to get the call uh every year uh for the past eight years i was actually cut they cut down uh during 2020 during the covid year right um because they ended up making it uh fewer participants one location and uh and they cut that list down so i didn't compete that year um but it's 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 cool. So Ninja Warrior is definitely reality show, right? At the uh, end of absolutely. the day. And anybody who does anybody who does um, you know, National Ninja League or um, you know, these different, you know, ninja competitions that are like OCR, but it's just obstacles, right? They they don't have the race element uh, or the at least the running element as as much. Um they know that uh the show isn't always necessarily looking for the absolute best athletes. They are, right? They want good athletes who can do some really cool things. Um, but they're also looking for other facets, right? Because it is a television show. They want right. to tell these stories. They want to create a connection with, um, you know, with the viewers and, and the audience. Um, and, and I think that probably lends credit to why I've been able to be on the show as many times as I have is because, um, because I have these other unique hobbies and backgrounds and experiences and, um, and, and, and things, uh, you know, aside from, from being a good, good athlete who works hard and, 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 and trains well. Um, and so I've been, yeah, I've been really blessed and, and, and really lucky to, uh, to get to compete on the show and just, you meet incredible people from different walks of life who've I'm had, sure. you know, pretty challenging backgrounds and, um, uh, you know, I've, I actually come from a pretty, uh, pretty challenging background myself and, uh, which I don't talk a lot about, but, um, uh, but to hear everyone's story, right. To hear their stories and, and what people have been through and overcome, uh, is pretty incredible. And you hear those same stories. If you spend enough time talking to folks at the OCR races, right. At oh, Spartan, yeah, um, and you see these guys come in, um, you know, uh, you know, amputees who are able to do these races, um, you know, uh, people with disabilities that are able to push themselves so much further and harder than, you know, um, than any of the elite guys and gals have, you know, uh, are pushing themselves and, and, and to be able to do this stuff is just really inspiring. And, uh, yeah, Ninja Warrior has been inspiring for me. Right. And it's just been a really, really great part of my life. 
haven't you made it to the finals like a couple of times? Yeah, you know, I haven't done I haven't done that well on the show uh, recently. Uh, my best year um, was like two spots, like out of five. I've always been on the cusp, right? So I get, right. you know, I, um, you know, they they make cuts at a certain point, and I finished like one place out, you know, outside, oh. and uh, um, which is okay, you know, I don't mind. Um, uh, you know, again, it is reality show, and and it's only once a year, so it's one and done. Right. Um, if you slip, if you, um, you know, if, you know, anything happens, then, then it's over. And, uh, and so, you know, it's important to have a lot of other things kind of happening because if you put all your eggs in that basket and then mm. you have that one shot and, and for some reason, something, something happens, um, it could be pretty, it could be pretty disappointing, but, uh, um, but I've loved it. Yeah. I really, I really, really enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. This year was not my best year. I went down on balance this year. <laughs> I went down uh, on the, uh, I think it was, um, the dominoes. So they right. loosened up the dominoes this year and I've never gone down on balance. This is the first time I ever went down on it. And, uh, and I went across these things. I short stepped one of them and that was the end. I was in the water in no time <laughs> and uh, had to tell my friends, uh, you know, to watch the show, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't say I couldn't say how it was turning how it was going to turn out this year, uh, so it's pretty funny. Right, I can't. Yeah, it would be hard to be an athlete and to and to train and to focus on something like American Ninja Warrior, and then you and then something goes wrong. You make a, a simple mistake, and there went a whole year of training just because you made a simple mistake. You know, it, <laughs> that I could see how that could be super depressing for somebody that puts all their eggs in just that one basket. Right. So thank God we have Spartan races and OCRs right. and everything, you know, these other things that we get to do throughout the, the rest of the year, um, you know, that provide provide that level of competition, you know, that require that focus, um, that mental fortitude, right. And, and, and it gives you a chance to, um, you know, to go into, to go into Ninja Warrior and not know what to expect and still be able to get through it. Right. Uh, to be able to perform in, in the moment, uh, is, is a really important skill to be able to develop. Right. So being, you know, able to do well at American Ninja Warrior, you must have some pretty good grip strength. Like how has your grip training been over the years to get to that point to where, you know, yeah. you don't really have to worry about stuff like that. How do you train your grip? Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but I rock climb a ton leading up to Ninja Warrior, basically like November through april like all i'm doing is training for the boston marathon right because that's usually around the same time as ninja warrior but i am in the rock climbing gym almost every day i'm right. i'm doing uh campus boards i'm doing the moon board i'm doing um uh you know i'm i'm just campusing things you know sometimes without without using my legs i'm working on really um you know really tough like intricate uh you know routes and holds that that build up the strength that you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to really build up in the gym. Right. You know, I mean, even doing, even doing dead hangs, right. I'll do dead hangs. I'll do a lot of pull-ups. I'll do all of that stuff, but there's a certain element uh, to rock climbing where um, you don't get the full grip, right. But you still have to support that full strength mm -hmm. uh, just using your dexterity and um, 
uh, yeah, I don't think there's, there's much that can replace that outside of the rock climbing gym. So I, I spent a lot of time rock climbing. I belong to a couple gyms, uh, in Cleveland and a few really nice ones have popped up uh, in the past few years, which has really helped me, uh, help me train even better. Right. Hmm. So yeah. this, this same video I was watching too, it showed, cause you talked about being in a, in a bike accident and then it showed, you showed a video oh. Was that a, was that a generic clip of somebody getting hit no, by a was bike? Or was that, that really was, you? That was me. Yeah. That was me getting blasted by a Ford Explorer, uh, while biking. Uh, I used to do a lot of triathlons too. So, and I got, how did you get this clip? How did you get this video yeah, clip? All right. So funny story. Okay. So I am, so I leave, my sister lives in downtown Cleveland. I had another sister uh, who has cystic fibrosis, who was in admitted to the hospital, um, you know, for a kind of a routine clean out for a couple of weeks. Right. And uh, so I was going to visit her. Um, and so I'm biking down the road through the east side of Cleveland and uh, I'm moving a pretty good clip, but I'm not speeding. I'm not going above the speed limit. You know, you're going um, pretty fast. <laughs> I was I was going I was going. I was just under the speed limit, which I think was 25 at the time. Right. And so I was moving and, you know, granted, most people probably don't expect uh, a biker to be, you know, moving kind of at the speed of traffic, but it's not that uncommon if, you know, if, um, if, you know, if you, if you're in an area where people are typically biking, um, but this is not an area where people are typically biking, let's mm. put it that way. And so I was, I was heading eastbound and, um, and uh, a lady was coming westbound and decided to turn left, mm -hmm. um, you know, into, you know, uh, onto East 74th Street uh, in Cleveland. And um, while I was going straight and uh, just absolutely nailed me and I got, you know, I was knocked out immediately, um, not moving, not conscious. And uh, she actually got out of the car to come because I ended up a little bit underneath her mm. car when it came to a stop. And thank goodness it didn't continue to roll. Um, but she came out to like move me from underneath <laughs> the car so she can get back in and take off. And I had a guardian angel that day. Um, this guy, his name's Lucky Friedman. And I'll never forget him because uh, he and I are still are still tight. He uh, he owns the oil chain shop on the corner of East 74th and St. Clair in East Cleveland. And he comes out of the of his shop and he's like, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Just leave him alone. Right. And it was right. actually his security cameras that caught what had happened uh there were actually two angles uh that caught this this collision and um uh, and i was out cold so i didn't know what happened but when i when i came to in the hospital um and i got eventually i got you know the jacket back that i was wearing and some other stuff he had slipped his business card into my pocket my jacket pocket um and so i found this in there and it said lucky friedman you know oil change whatever and, uh, and so I called him and I was like, Hey, like, can you tell me what happened? He's like, man, I saw the whole thing. He said, <laughs> I thought there was a car accident. And he said, I thought there were two cars that had collided, wow. you know? And so, and when I looked up, I saw that it was you, you know, and it was a biker and, um, uh, and thank goodness he was there. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he helped me out and, um, 
you know, I took him out for a nice steak dinner and his, him and him and the whole little crew for helping me out and calling the, you know, calling the ambulance and, uh, uh, make sure I was okay. So I recovered, um, you know, a little while later and, uh, was able to bounce back, uh, you know, from that, but, uh, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, bad concussion. My eye socket was kind of knocked in a little bit, some Ooh. contusions, a little bit of a knee injury and, and some things, but, um, but it could have been so, so much worse. And, uh, and luckily I was wearing a helmet. So, you know, public service announcement, if you guys don't wear a helmet, please do put on a helmet. (laughs) I, uh, I'm always preaching to kids in my neighborhood, Hey, make sure you're wearing a helmet because, uh, that definitely saved my life that day. Yeah. I mean, you got a concussion and you were still wearing a helmet. If that tells you something, you know? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My bike just crumbled. It was, uh, it was a Trek Madone with the, you know, carbon fiber and it just oh, man. absolutely collapsed in on itself. So that yeah, it was, um, maybe it's a good thing that it did. It, it had a little bit of give. Yeah. Cause I think this was like, wasn't this YouTube video, like your video auditioning for Ninja Warrior and that what it was. And yeah, yeah, it was, I saw this clip and I was like, was that the real clip or was that just stock footage to describe a bike wreck, you know, because it was, it was like perfect. I mean, if you would have told me that was a shop security camera, I would have never thought it because it didn't look like it was raised up above a building. It it kind of looked like it was just a straight shot, like somebody was shooting a like a jackass video or something, man. Yes, exactly, exactly. I know I couldn't believe the quality of that video, and I actually have two videos. I'll send you the other angle. You can actually see it from from the other side, and it wow. was, uh, um, yeah. And I was I'm actually glad that he had that video. Um, because it showed that I was a vehicle, right, in the mm-hmm. lane going straight. I wasn't, you know, a pedestrian on the sidewalk or something like that, right? And, uh, um, you know, you just you just never know. So, um, yeah, I he was looking out for me, and and yeah, I was. I think I I think I did put that in into my Ninja Warrior uh, video audition that year because. Um, you know, because it was something I had to overcome, right? I right. had to come bounce back from an injury and um, anybody else who's been out there who's had to have a surgery or had to, you know, has, has, has had an injury or been in an accident. Um, they understand that, you know, coming back from that, you know, kind of the trauma of it happening first and wondering whether or not you will be able to come back from it is, uh, is one thing. Um, and then the work that you put in, right. The physical therapy and everything to get back, um, you know, is, 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 is something else, but through that process, you learn to appreciate your mobility. You learn to appreciate your body, your health. And, um, and I think it makes, you know, I I think it makes competing and running and being able to do what we do all that much more rewarding. Did you call like one of those TV lawyers, like Ken Nugent, so you can get paid (laughs) from that? (laughs) No, no, no. I, I, oh man, we have a guy uh, we actually have a guy who sponsors some of the ninja competitions and stuff in Cleveland. His name's uh, Misney. Misney. Tim, is it Tim Misney? I don't know. He has these billboards of him just like in Cleveland. If you drive around Cleveland, you'll see the Misney billboard. Right. Where he's got like one eyebrow raised and his 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 tagline is, I'll make them pay. And he's that <laughs> guy. He's that guy for Northeast Ohio and for Cleveland. So if anybody needs a good lawyer talk to me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll team you up with Tim Misney and, uh, he'll make them pay. Yeah. Cause it was obvious. I mean, that was in that video that you were not in the wrong. She totally turned into you for sure. And it's like, yeah. she did yeah. it and then she braked because she knew like, uh Oh, and 
it was like <laughs> i think i think she actually said uh in you know she was definitely um you know i it it was tough because she said, yeah, she actually did see me coming and decided to turn anyway. Um, yeah, she said, uh, yeah. And I, I was like, would you have turned if I was a dump truck? Like, what right. What did you expect? Like, why would you turn into me? You know, and, and maybe she just wasn't, um, maybe she just thought she had time or something, but she was not slowing down. She just kind of turned and then kind of tapped her brakes. And that was, and that was that. So uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Have you ever has that have you ever been through something like that? Have you ever you know had any anything crazy happen that? I mean, last expected. Just I mean, I've been in car accidents, but nothing really like that. But yeah, I mean, I used to ride motorcycles a lot, and I've you know, and I've had people like just not see you, kind of like what happened to you. You know, because, yeah. and I mean, I had a, I had a crotch rocket too. So, I mean, I was driving yeah. fast. Yeah. I was totally in the wrong. I mean, I mean, I was on the interstate probably going like 160 <laughs> miles an hour and it was, Jeez. it was three lanes and it was early in the morning. There wasn't a lot of people on the street or on right. the interstate. And there was like two cars in the middle lane and one car in the slow lane and the two cars that were in the middle lane. You know, when I was in the fast lane and so yeah, of course. They right. can't I'm I'm sure they can't tell how fast you're going when they just glance in your mirror. So that right, person right. that was behind the car in the center lane, she all of a sudden decides she's gonna get in the fast lane and here I am oh, going no. up 160 miles an hour. So I have to pass her, you know, in the roof Oof. around the right by the medium wall in the middle. So wow, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, terrifying. And, and and that was and, one th- and, reason besides getting a couple of expensive speeding tickets and just seeing people more than once be on their phones and it be a close call yeah. with a motorcycle, you know, I just said, you know what? It ain't worth risking my life to enjoy this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had a track or something ride on like yeah, it'd be sure, just like good out there and rip, but um oh, yeah. but man, distracted, yeah, the distracted driving is really tough and um you know, I don't know that it's getting any better until it's not, man. until autumn, you know, until self-driving cars are really like fully fully implemented maybe it'll be a little bit better then but yeah man it's uh it's it's, it's crazy out there be safe everybody be safe yeah, it's out like there. I, don't, I don't even want i mean i don't even want to ride a bike like on the streets because i'm i'm still oh. afraid of just the, the same i go way thing, out man. i go out in the country i go out to you know the path or to you know to the parks and stuff I don't mess around with city biking anymore i'm just yeah. i'm over it <laughs> i can run i can run in the city you know it's easier yeah. to stop but, yeah, I mean, yeah. when you run, you know, I usually I'll face the traffic so I can see what's coming towards me, you know, but when you bike, you exactly. have to bike with the traffic. You can't see if there's somebody behind you on their phone that's not yeah. paying attention. You know? And you can run on the sidewalks, but you can't bike on like if you have like a, a, a decent road bike, you don't you're not going to ride that on the sidewalk. You need to be on the road and you're going fast enough that you wouldn't justify riding on the sidewalk anyway. So, right. yeah, that was crazy. But uh, yeah, so cross training, a lot of cross training on the right. bike motorcycles all that fun stuff right so um we'll bring back to ocr a little bit but um (laughs) um i I get on tangents sometimes but man you've got you've just got a lot of cool stuff you did that i you know i've never spoken to you for a long time so i just wanted to ask about it 
So you've done Palmerton before, and this is something that's kind of been, you know, people have been talking about a lot lately since they've branched, you know, the ape hanger obstacle out of Palmerton. And it was at the Asheville race and it was at West Virginia this past weekend. A lot of people are hating it in its kind of mobile version that they have here. And you've done the Palmerton ape hanger and now you've done this new version of ape hanger. Yeah. What is your, what are your thoughts on it? You know, honestly, um, I, I can see why people are disappointed to see it on a course, but I think it's testing a different type of skill that, um, that other races just don't, you know, that, that you don't usually see. Right. I mean, sometimes they have something similar, like a savage race and other things, but, um, I'm, I'm pro, I'm pro ape hanger for sure. Um, so part of the struggle, part of the struggle, especially this past weekend is how low it actually hung. Mm -hmm. Right. And how much, how much play it had. Um, I, I think, you know, being, maybe being a little bit of a shorter athlete, right. I had an advantage to be able to keep my legs up easier, right. And get through to the finish. Uh, and it was pretty slick first thing in the morning, right. I was out there first one hitting this first one hitting this obstacle and even the monkey bars are slippery, but, uh, um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I think I, I I love to see it. You know, I love to see it. I like to see new obstacles each year. I like to Mm. see different obstacles hitting different courses, uh, so it's not the same routine, right, every time. And and you can see a little bit of a mix-up in, in the results. Um, and it's a new challenge, right? If you go out there and you're doing the same exact obstacles over and over, yeah, it's good to see how you're improving, right, mm-hmm. in that regard. But I, I think you miss a little bit of an element of, of, uh, of surprise and, 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 uh, and adaptability that, uh, you know, that's also part of, part of OCR. So, um, yeah, the mobile version is definitely tough, though. The mobile yeah. version, the one that they had at West Virginia is, uh, is pretty loose. Yeah. And, and I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and I'm five eleven, which is not super tall, but it's tall enough to where Taller than me. <laughs> tor- towards the end, I, I did have to pull my legs up too, as well. And I could yeah. see where, if you're like six, three or something, cause if you've got that momentum going and your feet hit the ground and you lost your momentum and you don't have a lot of grip strength and you're holding up, you know, a body that the six, three, yes. you know, yes, I could see yes. that being frustrating because that would be, you know, that could be an underlying factor is why you fail in the obstacle. So sure. I think, I think that like, if they pulled the ladders tighter and you know, like you said, yeah. it would, it would pull it up a little bit too, but in another sense too, with them being so loose and every time you grab a rung, it was like, it dropped it drops. Yes. Especially on the way down for sure. Yeah. And that then the first, next one was grab. like a foot yeah. higher. So it, yes. it, to me, that, that, you know, that mobile version that they were putting together, it's yeah. harder than the one at Palmerton. Granted, you don't have to climb a wet ass rope to get to it. It's right. It's a difficult obstacle. Yeah, sure. that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be cool if they did, if you did have to climb up to it somehow, but the, um, yeah, that drop if you're not used to that or you don't anticipate it, that's where people are going to fall. Right. Right. I mean, inevitably, like that's just something you need to have seen before or done before to anticipate, Oh, I need to factor in that I'm going to be six to 12 inches lower than where I'm actually grabbing this thing. Right. Right. I need to anticipate that drop. Um, But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, 
yeah, I think it, I think it belongs. And I want to see more, I want to see more obstacles. I want to see more challenging obstacles. I want to see, um, you know, and I'm I'm a good runner, right? Like, I mean, running is, is part of what I do, but, uh, I do OCR because there are obstacles in the middle of it. I can go run a trail race any weekend. Um, but, but I think all of us, all of us want to, you know, really want to test ourselves. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like trail racing too. I'd rather be on the trails in the streets any day, but if you told me to go run a 50 K trail race, I'd be like, no, I'd rather go run a 50 K obstacle course just because it breaks up the running and it just makes it go by faster and just makes it more enjoyable to me. It does. Yeah. It keeps your mind occupied. You have to stay focused the entire time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's something about being, out in nature and being in the fresh air as as opposed to pounding pavement that's just uh makes you feel more alive yeah absolutely so you said that you are shorter how how tall are you logan i'm uh i'm a solid five five and a half um yeah i might say five six on my on my on my license only because they weren't checking (laughs) but i'm about yeah i'm a solid five 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 and a half so being you know at a height disadvantage how do you what is what is your way of getting over the stairway to spartan obstacle or stairway to sparta sorry obstacle with because now they've gotten to where they used to only put those rock hold grips when it was beast course and now they're doing it on the supers and the beast i imagine they're doing it like that because we've gone to penalty loops and not burpees so, right, right, and I know right. a lot of people are struggling with this obstacle, especially ones that are shorter or some of the women that don't have quite the better upper body strength to yes, grab yes. onto that and get over it. What is your strategy being a little bit shorter to conquering that obstacle? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. You know, what you have to do is you have to, um, accuracy matters in this one. So when you kick off the wall, that first jump off the wall, you need to catch two holds And you need to be like locked in, right? So you're going to catch the two bottom holds and then you want to immediately get another hand up. So the sooner you can work your way up, the better. But if you don't have that nice, solid, like sticky grip and and you may be, you may have like your arms may be fully extended at that point. Um, You need to, you know, to grab two at once. You need to use your legs to kick off. And then your hands are going to be slipping a little bit because those are plastic holds. You need to immediately get to the next hold. You know, probably get two hand movements. So next hold, next hold, and then you need to get a foot up on um, uh, on the bottom hold. Whatever hold you grabbed first, you're probably going to get your foot up to that point um, so that you can support. You know, the your your body weight uh, from below, and then you just kind of have to crawl up it. Um, but that's it, it's a it's a tough one when like this year uh, at West Virginia, I think they put that right after a massive climb mm-hmm. too. Right. Yep. So we came up the cliff, we were running through the woods and then boom, you got to hit it. And they've been doing that at most races that have topography. Um, so, you know, you may have to shake out, you know, shake your legs out for one second, make sure you get up nice and high and catch those two grips. Um uh, and then just move as quickly as you can right. um, you know, before, before you start slipping, because you only have, you know, you probably have five, six, eight seconds, right. To, to make a couple moves before you're going to be slipping off of there, uh, unless you're rock climbing all the time. 
Yeah, I almost feel like that would be easier if it had a better quality rock hold grip there instead of the Big plastic time. ones that they would have like I mean, a little kid's playground. That's what I was saying. Every time I see this thing, I'm like, every time I, I touch those holds, I'm like, this feels like my niece's backyard play set, you know, like right. those those holds. And they're they're slippery. They're so tough. They're very slippery. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the texture is on the front of them, but we're not using the front of them, right? right. On the backside, right, where we're actually grabbing is is uh is just slippery plastic. plastic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you you ran the three K series at Palmerton. How did you feel about the new competitive format that Spartan has gone to? Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, that was my first chance to do the three K series, and you, you picked a good one. I, I picked a good one. I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I, um, it'd be nice to get a little bit, well, it'd be nice to get a little more rest in between or to equalize the amount of rest that each athlete is getting. Uh, cause after you go through the first couple rounds, um, you know, uh, you want to make sure that all the athletes going into the finals have had the same amount of recovery right going into that that 3k um what what i dislike about it is a 1k race is very different than a 3k race neither right. one is very long but 1k is so fast and so quick and it's over in no time and you can get an athlete that can do really well in a 1k that isn't going to do well in a 3k i don't know i haven't analyzed the results of this year's races as much mm. to see if that's been much of a factor or if the same people who are finishing you know pretty close to the top in the in the 1ks are you know kind of you're seeing the same results in the 3k but i'm guessing there's a little bit of variation there between uh, what their specialty uh is you know i went out and you know i I think I was the second fastest in the first one K. And then again, I did the same thing in the second one K and I probably went off a little bit too hard in those qualifying races because it's the first time I've done it. And I wasn't really sure how, how to do this. I mean, going forward, I'm going to be a lot slower in the first one <laughs> K like use it as a warm up. You just don't know who's there or how competitive people are and, and where you end up in the mix. But, uh, um, you know, but maybe, maybe, um, uh, you know, kind of, figuring out your effort is, is going to be an important element to that strategy uh, for that, for that type of format. Uh, I I'll probably work on the, for, on the series next year. I'll probably focus on the series next year. Do you like the traditional format better or do you like this one better? I mean, I like longer races. Right. I like longer races. I like more obstacles, um, more variety of obstacles, I guess, I guess you could say. Um, I, uh, you know, I do like the uh, the longer, like the beast format, the super, you know, having a sprint in there and, um, you know, varying it up so that you don't just have a 3K specialist who's going to be the best in the country every year, right? right. Somebody has to, you also have to be versatile in that you have to be able to run a beast. You have to be able to do these, you know, these other distances and you probably have to do mountains and flat, right? If you're going to do the whole series and perform well, um, you're going to be doing both of those at some point. Um, you know, in the series. So, uh, so I do, I, I do like that element, but I also get that um, the Spartan and, and OCR in general, right, is trying to appeal to a, a more visual sport, right? Something that can be watched, understood, um, 
you know, unless you run marathons, you're probably not going to sit there and watch a two hour marathon, two and a half hour marathon on TV, but you might sit down and watch a 5k or you might get, you know, you might sit down and watch the, uh, um, you know, the 400 meter hurdles at the world championships or something. Right. Because you understand it. It's going to be quick. It's going to be easy. Like, um, and, and I think that's what they're trying to get to. So, um, so far, far be it for me to complain about any changes that are being made or anything else. I think, um, you know, uh, I, I'm just glad that they're trying, right. That they're trying to get right. it on the map, that they're trying to get to see the, you know, into some element of the Olympics, whether it be through the pentathlon or its own event. Um, I think, uh, I think iteration is, is progress. And so we're going to keep making these iterative changes until, until they get it right, until they find the formula that, that works. Um, but I think you also have to test something long enough to see whether traction can be built. And, um, uh, and sometimes we, we switch things up too quickly uh, and we lose all the momentum that has kind of started. Um, so I, I just don't want to see that happen, um, you know, in, in the next couple of years. Right. Well, Logan, what do you have planned for the rest of the year? Oh man. So good question. I've got, uh, I'll be doing a few more races, uh, whatever, you know, kind of pops up. I've got the U S national boomerang championships at the end of September um, that I'll be gearing up for uh, and ready to go. Um, I'm going to be running the Chicago marathon in October, the New York marathon in November, uh, and then doing uh, a few OCRs in the meantime. Um, and, uh, I haven't figured out specifically what races I'm doing this fall. Um, I know OCR worlds is at the same time as the Chicago marathon. So that was a really wow. tough one. I, I think I, I paid for both. I registered for both before I realized that they were on the same day. And, uh, and so it was a really tough call as to whether I should go do the Chicago marathon or OCR worlds. And I'm still, I'm still kind of on the fence, Mm. right. I'm still trying to decide. I think most, most people listening to this will probably be like, dude, go to OCR worlds, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and I want to see all my friends. I want to do that. But I also know Chicago is one of the majors. It's a fast course. And I really want to see how fast I can go. Um, you know, what I can get my marathon time down to, um, you know, while I'm, you know, while I'm kind of fit for it. Uh, So I'm going to do that. And then, um, uh, and then I'll be gearing up for American Ninja Warrior again, you know, next season, next year. And, um, uh, and, and being ready to to do a lot more OCR next year, Uh, staying healthy, going into the season healthy, uh, having a good spring session. um, And then, uh, and then gearing up for OCR worlds and everything else, um, you know, uh, next year that I'd love to do. So I'm excited to see everybody out there. If you guys see uh, see me on the course or know that I'm at a race, come stop by, say what's up. And I know I know a lot of the the folks that probably listen to the podcast now, but um, I'm sure there's a bunch of people I'd love to meet. And um, yeah, I really appreciate all the support. And I appreciate you, Scott, for just letting me talk a little bit today and yeah, tell my story. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um. Yeah. I'm- I'm out of questions, but I always ask the same three questions to everybody that comes on the show. If you got, if you got time, here we go. Let's do it. Okay. So to this day, out of any competition or race that you've done, what's been your most favorite and why? (sighs) Any competition or any race that I've done, you know, um, man, let's go with, I'm going to go with OCR worlds. Oh man, this is tough. 
<laughs> you know what I did? You know, one of my one of my first couple years in OCR, I went out to London to uh to the OCR Worlds. Um and it was the first year that they had it out there. And um uh Jesse Bruce and Sam uh Hebert asked me to join their team uh for Team Canada. This is back when you were allowed to kind of switch Mix to whatever country they just needed they just needed somebody to run with them and they right. called me the night before and um and i knew these guys you know we had seen each other at a couple races here in north america and uh um they're like hey man like we don't have we don't have a third person can you do you mind racing and uh, this is like the night before the race and i was planning to go into london and like check out the sites and stuff and i was like yeah of course i will like let's do it and uh and we ended up racing and actually ending up winning the world championships there and and i've done that a couple nice. times now with the team races um but how cool is it that you can you know that you can you know do the sport for a couple years or you know or, or work on something and then show up meet people from all different walks of life different backgrounds different countries different life experiences and get to share something like that, right? And you don't have to win to do it, right? You can just go compete and just have an incredible experience of camaraderie and teamwork and um, uh, and just like pulling each other along. And anytime I'm in like a team element, it elevates my game to just a whole nother level. And that was such a cool experience to win that race and uh, um, and to do it out there, right? And with those guys, it was, it was pretty cool. I felt like an honorary Canadian for the day, but I love being American. Don't get me wrong. I love being American. But they made me an honorary uh, Canadian that day. So that was that was really cool. Yeah, I still say to this day, the best thing about OCR or Spartan or, or, or Tough Mudder, it's, it's the community, you know. I feel like it if is. it was one of those type of 5K races where everybody goes to it, puts their headphones in, finishes the races, and then go home, it wouldn't be right. the sport that it is today for sure. It's not. I remember that slip wall, that last slip wall when uh, Sam was like climbing up me up and then I ended up mooning the entire crowd because he grabbed his shorts <laughs> as he was climbing up me. I was like, hey, whatever, whatever gets us to the finish line, right. you know, I guess that was another memorable experience there. Maybe I shouldn't tell people about that, but uh, <laughs> most people were pretty, pretty well. I'm sure anyway. that's on video somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> So, okay, now I want the opposite of that question. And what race have you disliked the most or hated or worst performance and why? Ooh. Most people don't like to say, well, I don't hate any races. So, Right, right, right. Well, they're lying to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think so, too. Right. I mean, so, um, so I've, had a, I've, had, I've had a few tough races. I think... Um, you know, there's always those races where like you just you 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 know you twist your ankle or like something early and then you have to just mm -hmm. suffer through it. You know you're not, you know, it's just you try to push as hard as you can, but like an actual injury uh, and pushing through that, uh, even if you perform at your very best, right? You're not you it's 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 um you know, you can't you can't finish at the top. And uh man, I remember Abu Dhabi uh you know, at the Spartan World Championships uh, a couple of years ago, you know, going out there and just being so sick and like, I don't know, I didn't have COVID, but I definitely had something and it was like coughing and then sleep deprived and the just like, just, it was, it was really tough. And then we were, I, I, I want, and I enjoyed the experience, right? I enjoyed being out there and, um, you know, the cultural aspect and everything was really cool and really unique, but 
man, that was one of the toughest races. I just felt more drained than in any marathon I've done or, or anything else. I, I finished, I don't know, somewhere in the, you know, teens, 14th or 15th, whatever it was. Um, you know, but, uh, but that's one where, you know, I had done a lot of preparation. I'd put in the work, I'd had a great season and then, um, you know, it just didn't culminate to what you wanted that right. crescendo to be right at the yeah. end of the season. Um, and, uh, and so that was, you know, that was tough, but, um, you know, but silver lining, great experience, um, hung out, uh, with, uh, Megita and with, um, you know, a bunch of, bunch of folks out there and just had an absolute blast. But, uh, but that was, uh, that was a tough, that was a tough, tough race. And listen to people drive ATVs all night long. Oh my gosh, man. That was brutal. <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, I can't even describe it. I bet yeah. It was. Not Spartan's fault. Not Spartan's fault, but it was, right. uh, whew, it was a tough one. Right. It was a tough one. Okay. So my last question is, is what is your race routine? Like, let's say you've yeah. got a big race on Saturday morning. Do you have yeah. like a routine that you follow on Friday? Do you have like a go-to yeah. dinner, a go-to breakfast? Like what yes. do you have like something that you have to do in order for it to be perfect? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. So are we always like figuring that out, like tweaking right. things and trying things out? So, so here's, here's, so here's what I do. And I shouldn't tell you guys this because now I'm going to yeah, be, we, we want the secret slogan. We want the secrets after this. I'm going to be back in the pack after this with everybody with, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, so what I do is, um, yeah. So I, you know, two days before I typically focus more on complex carbs, right. And I, I carb up, um, you know, morning before I don't do dairy anymore. I cut out dairy completely. And I know that's, that's really tough for people. It's been really tough for me. I, I occasionally cheat when there's some good ice cream nearby, but cut out dairy. Uh, but I do, um, uh, so I continue to carb up day before some lean protein, healthy fats, you know, uh, the day before morning before, and then I avoid basically the second half of Friday. I avoid fiber. Obviously I avoid dairy. Um, I avoid any like really fatty, like anything, you know, fatty or fattening. And then, um, you know, definitely just some greens, some, uh, usually like rice, chicken, um, rice and chicken or rice and fish, you know, the night before even sushi or something like that mm. is usually pretty simple and doesn't, doesn't bother me, uh, much. Um, and, or like a, or like a grain bowl or, or something like that. Um, it usually, usually works out pretty well. Um, and then, morning of i'll eat a banana i'll eat maybe half a granola bar depending on how long the race is or, or a full granola bar um usually about three hours before my race hmm. so three two and a half hours max right before the race right i'll i'll take that stuff in and then it's simple sugars between <laughs> between two hours to race time um only because you know i know i'll be using that right at some point during you know during the race um, and I don't want to spend too much, uh, yeah, I don't want to worry about digestion, like during the race. Um, and I do, uh, beet powder, um, uh, scoop the night before the race. And then the morning of the race, I'll do a scoop of the beet powder. Um, and, and, uh, and then maybe 15 minutes before the race, I might take a goo or a or or morton i really like morton because i got used to using those you know for for some marathons 
uh, they're kind of expensive. So I don't like mm. to use them all that often, except for important races. And then, um, um, and then if I take anything with me, it'll be something simple, like a Morton, like something that is easy to just like, I don't do the chews or anything because right. um, I don't know. I don't just don't want to chew during a race. Um, and that's it. And then I go. And sometimes I'll have a little bit of noon. Uh, so I'll have a little bit of noon and water, um, you know, before, um, you know, the morning before the race. So do you have any, like something that happens like the morning of, if oh, you're doing yeah, yeah. your, your up or something, is, yes. do you have yeah, anything yeah. that leads to like, today's a good day. It's going to be a good day. Do you have anything like indicators well, like that? Yeah. 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 So, um, usually I feel bouncy in the morning. Like if I, like if I wake up and I'm like, and I'm awake. And what's funny is some of my best races have been after the worst nights of sleep, mm. you know, like I've slept in the back of my car. There was a race where I went to the OCR world championships and I finished like third. And I, you know, I had just traveled like 47 hours, like coming back from the Maldives and didn't sleep, didn't know which way was up and just hadn't had a great race, you know, at, at a really strong race. Um, but uh, yeah, morning of the shorter the race is, the longer the warm up that I like to do. So if it's a sprint, I'm going to be warming up for four or five months. If it's a beast, then I only need to warm up by two miles, you know, um, which is kind of seems counterintuitive. But um, so you uh, but warm it, up five miles before doing a sprint. Yeah, I warm up for you know at least three four miles and wow. if it's flat you know or if it's if it's hillier you know i'll do a little bit less but if it's yeah 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 yep well, that makes me feel yep. lazy but you know but then i'm out you know but if i'm putting in like 80 mile 90 mile weeks or whatever it is then it's not you know it's that is a warm-up you know right. um so uh yeah 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 but just you know i like to get the get the blood flowing and uh you know, doing some dynamic, dynamic stretches and, you know, dynamic work the morning of the race. Um, if you, I don't, I still haven't figured out if you can overstretch before a race or if you mm. still want to be like a little, if you want to have a little bit of tightness, but just enough to, you know, for that elasticity, I, I don't know. I still, maybe I need to study it or ask, ask the race brain guys or something about it. But uh, I mean, when you know, we'll you, you, you say that when you dynamic stretch, I mean, it's, you're doing the same thing. You're just pulsing it instead of just being stagnant. So yeah. I don't think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah. And honestly, just having uh, that positive mindset and being like, even if you don't feel good, being confident. Right. right. Confidence really, truly matters. And uh, I know most people know that, but it's harder to it's easy to know and hard to practice, like hard to truly like go into a race with confidence and not arrogance. You know, respect your competition, right. respect who's next to you, um, but also be positive and know that you've put in the work and that you're capable of pushing through pain and that you're capable of, um, you know, of more than what your mind tells you. Right. I mean, cause you know, you can go into a race and be super confidence, but true confidence is from the beginning of the race to the end. Whereas, you know, if you're confident that in an arrogant way, like today's going to be the good, a good race today is my race. It's my day, right. you know, and then a mile into it and you're 10, 20 people back that, yeah, that feeling will fade. Whereas, you got to, true confidence will carry you to the finish line no matter what. You know? Right. 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 And how do you, how do you be, how do you be that far back 
and still stay in the game right right? and still know that the race is not over right that there's a lot that can happen there's a lot that you know and you can get a second a third a fourth wind right during these races and um and you can make those incremental movements especially over a longer race that result in you still still being you know um further ahead than you expected to be um so like don't don't give up in a race because you're not where you want to be at that point the race isn't over to you till you hit the finish line. And I think so many people just give up, you know, so much sooner because they're not where they expected to be at that point. Um, but, you know, but some people may have gone to out too hard or may, you know, miss an obstacle or do something else. And you may just not be feeling it until the second half, you know, now see, I have to be that way because I can't run out with guys like you and Mark, you know, where y'all just go out hot and leave everybody behind <laughs> yeah. for the first eight miles, you know? <laughs> I have no business. I have no business running out there with Mark. My goodness, that guy's a monster. So, and it was funny. Atkins was passing me during that race. Um, at, at one point, and he was like, he's like, you know, we were talking to each other, and he was like, yeah, maybe you know, you know, you can, you know, you can slow down a little bit if you need to. <laughs> and I was like, I felt okay. I was like, dude, I feel fine. Why are you doing this? But he was just looking out for me. He's like, he's like, you know. I don't know if you should be leading the, the, this entire race yeah. right now. Like, you know, and I just was, I was having a great day. So I don't know, but uh, no, but he meant it, you know, he meant it in the right ways. So he's like, right. save some for the, for the end. You know, it was funny. I'm sure you're it like, thanks Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, if I'm going to take advice from anybody, you know, yeah. he's not, he's not a bad guy to take advice from. He's great. Well, Hey Logan, man, I'm out of questions, man. I appreciate your time. Do you want to tell people where they can follow you and, check out some of your stuff. Yeah, definitely. So guys, uh, it's Logan.broadbent on uh, Instagram is probably the easiest way to follow me. Uh, I'm going to try to post more often here, especially, you know, as I have some, uh, uh, some bigger things coming up. And um, if anyone wants to get a boomerang, they can go to boomerangninja.com and uh, buy a boomerang. Maybe I'll put, how about I put a, uh, I am Spartan, uh, promo code out there uh for like 20 20 percent off uh a boomerang so uh yeah we'll just call it i'll put a discount code uh discount code called i am spartan and uh anybody can get 20 percent off their boomerangs and i'll I'll sign those for you and ship them out to you and uh um yeah really appreciate it boomerangninja.com and um thanks to vj shoes for sponsoring my shoes and uh yeah, and thank you, Scott, for for getting me here and 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 letting me letting me talk to the team. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. Like like I said, you know, watching you race, man, inspires me, and just seeing that, man, it's awesome, man. But anyway, dude, have a good evening, and thanks again. All right, thanks, guys. See ya. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Logan again for taking time to talk to us. And go and follow him on Instagram and check out some of his YouTube videos. He's got some amazing YouTube videos of throwing a boomerang. It was exciting to me to watch. I don't know. Just stuff like that is It just gets my curiosity going. But anyway, um, I want to tell everybody that if you were looking for the Rejuvator tent this past weekend at West Virginia, Miranda had a family emergency come up at the last minute and they were not able to come there on site. So it was a bummer too because... Everybody was cramping. That swim, even though they cut it shorter, it still was making 
everybody cramp at that course. I don't know what it is about that course. It's got to be the swim, just going in there. You know, you're running hard. You hit the swim. You come out of there, and you just start to cramp. And getting some IV therapy after that race would have been great. I actually thought that I was going to get away with it and not get any cramps this year. So Saturday on the Beast, I was... uh, you know, it was an age group series race and I, I, I knew I wasn't going to do great anyway. And I wanted to kind of take it easy on my ankle because West Virginia's got some pretty technical spots here and there. And the loose gravel roads kind of scare me the most because, you know, you, you hit your heel on that one rock just right and it'll make your your ankle kind of turn a little bit. It actually happened right after Stairway to Sparta when we run down that steep gravel road there i had a little tiny little tweak in my ankle running down that hill but anyway so i just said you know what i'm just going to go and kind of practice my killington ultra pace in my thought of what my pace would be and i was like well i'm just gonna stay under or i was i was staying i had no business going sub eight minute miles i knew that and i was going to try to just kind of feather in between like zone three high zone three heart rate and low zone four and i mean i ended up going a little bit harder than that of course but i definitely didn't want to be in zone five anywhere and like when i was i went up that steep cliff climb that was actually pretty steep you know you actually were grabbing roots to get to the top of it there was no ropes or nets there so that was actually a challenge and if you ever if you heard anybody screaming and hollering and cussing as loud as they could on Saturday, that was my buddy Michael because he was at the bottom of that cliff and somebody kicked loose a big rock and it rolled into his ankle. And from what everybody told me, Michael made a huge scene and was cussing and hollering in pain. And the guy that did it didn't even say sorry or nothing. He just kept going. But that's probably because of the tantrum that Michael did there. So that's what I imagine. But anyway, so yeah, I was just kind of taking it easy. And the only time I hit zone five was like coming off that cliff climb and towards the end of the carries, you know. And I was like, I wasn't going super fast on the carries, but it's just that's one of those things when you're going uphill with a weight like that, it's going to spike you. So, but I was happy with the way everything went. Um, I still felt dead at the end of the race for, you know, kind of holding back a little bit. Um, but I, w- I was happy with the effort. But like I said, I thought I was going to get away without cramping. And I come out of the barbed wire. I was feeling good. And I was like, all right, I'm going to close down this last little bit. Because after the barbed wire, you just kind of get on that little dirt road, turns into the boardwalk. And then you go up those kind of railroad tie wooden steps and you throw the spear well as i was coming up those steps both of my calves are like hey you better back off or we're gonna lock up you know and it was both of them i felt them just both trying to cramp and uh so i go to the spear i miss it of course so i start taking the um the penalty loop there and my buddy Ducky, he come in, or Jason Brantham, he comes and stays with us. Everybody calls him Ducky. He wears duck shorts, rubber ducky shorts. So he he was he was right behind me, and he made his spear about the time I was coming out of the penalty loop. And uh, I was like, well, shoot, I'm, I'm going to try to catch him. So, and 
I don't even think he knew that I was trying to catch him, but he went over the inverted wall like a pro. So I jumped over it and went over it like a pro too. And, you know, I got, I was at the bottom of the slip wall when he was about halfway up and I was thinking, well, if he goes down the backside real easy, you know, and I figured I can walk down it like there's stairs and, and maybe catch him, you know, and he went down it hard and I crested the top and was like on the second step and he'd come off of it and, and he heard me. I just went, fuck, you know, cause I knew I couldn't catch him at that point. And, uh, and he, he says, yeah, I heard somebody say that. And I told him, I was like, yeah, that was me. I was trying to catch you right there at the finish line. And we had a good laugh right there at the end of the race. West Virginia is always a great race, but yeah, man, it would have helped to, uh, definitely get some IV therapy after that race out of all the races I go to you know it's great to get it after an ultra but West Virginia when you come off of that race and you're feeling all crampy that's when IV therapy would be like really great because we were watching TV in the Airbnb like the rest of the day and like I could just flex my leg a certain way like really hard and like my muscles would just start spasming in these cramps so it would have been nice to have some IV therapy for sure. But anyway, yeah, so like I said, I was kind of just playing around with how I wanted to practice my pacing for Killington. I don't know if I learned anything, but maybe got an idea because it's such a long race and I don't want to be in high zone four, but it looks like even when you throttle back just a little bit, for me anyway, that's probably going to be the case unless you're just going super conservative and just going up the climbs very slow at a very moderate pace and just trying to gauge your effort and keep your heart rate low. I don't, I've, I've done this race. This will be my fifth time doing this race. And I can't say I've got a great grasp on how to pace it. You know, it used to be one of those things where you, you don't go wide open like you're doing a beast, but you just back off a little bit. And I guess that would be like perceived effort. And I guess that's kind of what I've done in the past, but it's always been one of those things. Well, the faster you get the first lap done, you know how much time you got left to finish, you know? So I want to say that's kind of been something I've done in the past too, which probably isn't great either. But last year it was so hot there and I know I was going harder than I should have been, I guess. And I was probably hitting gels too quickly. I was hitting them every 30 minutes, which I usually don't do that. But I wanted to make sure that I was getting enough rather than not having enough. And I guess that blew up in my face. I don't know. It could have been the heat. could have been I pushed too hard. Or I was just taking in too many calories. I don't know. So I'm hoping for cool weather at Killington. Uh, this year we're a couple of weeks away from that I don't know I've saw rumors where there was not going to be a swim this year I'm pretty sure we are starting at the Bear Mountain Lodge which is where we started at last year they are finished with the K1 Lodge but here's the thing they probably don't want thousands of muddy racers going through their brand new lodge that they just finished. So I understand why they're starting us at the Bear Mountain Lodge. It makes perfect sense. I don't blame them whatsoever. But yeah, so anyway, on West Virginia, on the Super, you know, I, I told myself, you know what? I'm going to hit this one hard and just go out and race it. And, uh, you know, after running the Beast, you know, I felt pretty 
beat up after running the beast. Even though I was not trying to kill it, I still felt pretty rough, you know, and it kind of worried me, you know. I was thinking, you know, I shouldn't feel this bad after doing the beast, you know. It's not a good sign before I go into the Killington Ultra. But Sunday morning before the Super, in my warm-up, you know, I felt good. I didn't feel sore anymore. I don't know if it was just a good night's sleep. I'm not sure, or just maybe you got that Saturday race out of the way and the Sunday race is always better, but I could tell in the first mile of that race, I felt good. I was running hard and it, at first I was like, well, I, I come out, I either come out too hot and it's going to be a bad finish or I'm having a good day. And it turned out I was actually having a pretty decent day. Um, I ended up placing fourth in my age group and I think third place was a little more than 30 seconds over me and I, I may could have cut 30 seconds but I'm sure if he would have saw me on him he probably would have dusted me either way but anyway I hate placing fourth because every time you place fourth place all you do is just think about could I have a cut that time where could I have a cut that time and I know I could have cut 30 seconds but I'm sure he probably had some time he could have cut especially if I was beside him so you know it but it's such a fun course. I love West Virginia. If you've never done West Virginia, you got to go do West Virginia. Running across the bridge is amazing. There's good hill climbs. You have the swim. There's good flat running here and there. There's good downhill running here and there. There's technical running. The carries are usually pretty good there. I think they've had the carries in the same place for the past couple of years. But like I said, it's always a great race. I don't know if you noticed or not, but they have AT&T Wi-Fi pretty much all over the festival area. So it's it's always a fun race and a fun venue. And everybody comes out to it because it's a trifecta weekend. And we had a great time. I always have a great time in West Virginia. You definitely need to put that one on your bucket list for sure. But like I said, I've got another interview planned next week for sure. I don't know about the week after that, but I do have one more episode coming out before Killington. So if I don't, and if I don't for some reason, um, come up to me and say what's up at Killington. You know, if you see me on the ultra lap and I'm dying out there praying to God that I don't roll my ankle again. That would be the worst case scenario. I'm just hoping to have a good race there after last year and after rolling my ankle in Fayetteville, I'm just ready to have one good ultra race because the last three have not been the best. So hoping for that. If you see me there, come up to me, say what's up. I want to thank everybody that come up to me in West Virginia and say what's up. I love hearing from people that listen to the podcast. It makes me want to keep doing this and I love meeting new people and making new friends and I met a lot of people this past weekend at West Virginia and that always gets me super pumped up but anyway follow us on Facebook and Instagram and we'll see you at next race oh and this weekend Michael and Mary Michael Robertson my best friend that I go to all the races with and his girlfriend Mary Girth are getting married this weekend in or well, actually they're getting married tomorrow which is friday in orlando so that's where i will be this weekend so i might even try to maybe do a little live feed or maybe do a video and post it on instagram later so at least the last vows and see if michael says something stupid which he probably will because he thinks he's the funniest guy in the world but nobody laughs at his jokes because he's an idiot but anyway 
Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next race. Peace.